In Passing is a podcast by the Center for Faith Engagement at Andrews University. It's a place for conversations about life and faith, all in the time it takes to get a burrito from the gazebo. It's a podcast that highlights real conversations with real people all across Andrews University. This is In Passing. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of In Passing. I'm Mikey. I'm not your normal host, but Angel will be back with us next week. I'm excited to be here. And as always, I'm Arlene. And today we are here with Nehemiah Sittler. Hey, guys. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So, Nehemiah, tell us just real quick a little bit about yourself. All right. So, my name is Nehemiah. I am a senior here at Andrews. This is kind of my fifth year. I was a student missionary to Idaho. I was an assistant boys dean at Gem State Academy. Shameless plug for student missions. Everyone should try it. (laughs) Be a domestic student missionary. It's a lot of fun because you get to stay in the States and travel and stuff. But uh, about me, I grew up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call home to a small little Adventist elementary school there. And then uh, when I started high school, my family moved to Tennessee, and I lived in the woods of Tennessee, and now my folks live outside of Southern, so like five minutes from campus. Honestly, there's just a lot about me. Like, I, I'm into a lot of stuff, cool. so it's, it's kind of hard to, like, pick a thing, but uh, cars are definitely close to my heart. Ooh. Traveling is close to my heart, and friends are close to my heart. Those are probably oh. my top three. That's solid, man. That's yeah. solid. If you need a car, tell Nehemiah to find one for you. Yeah, I have a brokerage service. I can take care of you. (laughs) (laughs) Plugging in his business here. Well, awesome. Well, again, welcome in today. We just have a couple questions to just get you started off. So the first one is, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Hardest thing I've ever done. Wow, wow, wow. Let me think about that really fast. Okay, I'm going to go with this. And then something else might come to my mind. So I'll, I'll throw that in there too. Let's do it. All right. So probably one of the hardest things that I had to do in my life was give up on my dream of becoming a pilot. Wow. So a little bit of a backstory. When I was a kid, I got attached to the idea in probably about the fifth grade that I wanted to become a mission pilot, and that's what I was going to do as a career. And so my parents, being the type of people they are, really committed to like my success and my growth as an individual were like, We're going to take you everywhere possible around the Midwest and help you understand what it's like to be a pilot and get you connected with pilots. Wow. So I went to a ton of fly-ins, talked to a ton of people, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And so that's how I ended up going to high school in Tennessee because I went to a school where I was able to fly for about three and a half, four hours a day. Whoa. At least that was the plan. Everyone who's like really into aviation and making it a career knows that if you're going to really do well, you need to start your path to a career in aviation in high school so that by the time you graduate, you're already licensed so you can go up to the next level. So that's kind of what I was working on. Mm. And the school had a really attractive program. They had a track record of graduating students with at least a pilot's license, but a lot of students were graduating with certifications above that. And some were even getting up to their commercial license, which is what you need in order to be paid into practice as a pilot. So I went to school there. I was doing the thing. And then stuff just like started coming off the rails. So my sophomore year, the instructor who was doing it, he quit. 
So I was just kind of like sitting there like, what am I going to do? I started going to a flight school in Nashville like an hour and a half away. And I was just trying to put the whole thing together. Mm. And then my junior year of high school in January, I was wrestling with a friend on the bottom bunk of the bed in the dormitory. And um, I just don't remember anything after that. All I remember is waking up in extreme pain. The whole left side of my body was just in pain in right around my shoulder. And I didn't remember anything. I was just laying in a pile of this guy's dirty laundry. And then I like opened my eyes and I remember seeing like five faces looking down on me. The principal was there. The dean was there. The assistant dean was there. And the assistant dean's roommate was there. And like another RA was there. And they were all looking at me and they're like, yeah, this isn't good. And then they leave. And basically, come to find out, they called an ambulance. I started to seize when I hit the floor. Whoa. And when I woke up, I had had a moderately severe concussion. Oh, wow. And I had had a seizure for a few minutes. And I had broken my left clavicle pretty severely. And I had to have surgery to put it back together. And they had to put some hardware in. So basically, through the whole thing, what happened is, is because I had the seizure... The U.S. government decided that I couldn't pass a medical examination to be a pilot. They decided I have epilepsy and I'm not able to become a pilot. And the way I found out about that is my flight instructor just called me after I flew with him after the incident. And he just told me straight up, he's like, I don't know how to tell you this kindly. I have friends who were on a path to working with the airlines and this happened and they've never flown again. I remember his words perfectly. He said, this is game over. Super devastating ton of money invested in it, ton of time invested in it. And I was just sitting there and my family was like, we're going to fight this thing. So we started the path of fighting it. There's some legal stuff you can do, but the government doesn't play. Like they don't play with aviation. You do what they say or else you don't do it. And so basically after some research and some time, the moral of the story was you can fight it, get your license back, but you don't know when it will be taken away. So you don't really build a career off of it because you could like get stranded when you're 35 with no job. So the hardest thing for me was accepting that that had happened to me. And what I was convinced in my mind was God's leading and God's doing Mm. and God's plan was like just removed from me in a moment. Mm. And then discovering that I would have to change my life goals and like pivoting the bottom part of my junior year and then beginning of my senior year, having to decide what my new career path would be. And then like reevaluating what school I wanted to go to based off of that was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And it was just super devastating. Like I remember just sitting in the vice principal's office because I was really good friends with her. I worked for at the time and she was like, hard things happen to you all the time in life. You need to sit down and you need to grieve, but you need to get back up and you need to find the next thing you're going to go to. And when you find that next thing, you're going to be happy. So I had to give up on it and it was super devastating. But now I'm just kind of... I'm not grateful it happened, but Mm. I can really see where that leading and that connection happened because I think I'm in something that's ultimately better for me and more fulfilling. And I found a whole different part of the world that I connect with and I really enjoy and appreciate Mm. that I wouldn't have connected with or discovered before that happened to me. Wow. Thank you so much for that is a lot of vulnerability. Thank you sharing your story with us on that. No problem. No problem. Yeah. So we have another question. If you only had five more years to live, would you change anything about your life? Absolutely and absolutely not. So let me break it down for you right quick. Break it down. I wouldn't change anything about my personality, my lifestyle, who I am, 
what I care about. None of those things would change. But the outlook of what I would be doing in the next five years would definitely change. I would not be a student anymore. It just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) There's so much I want to experience in the world and so many things I'm passionate about. I think I would just drop everything and try to pursue those things as fast as possible, almost recklessly. (laughs) Like I was saying, I love travel. Nice. So I would try to see as many parts of the world as possible. I love my friends and I love people. So I'd probably just try to meet as many different people as possible and try to intentionally spend time with them and spend more time with my friends and invest in them. I would probably become more involved in the organizations and the things that I really care about. I'm a person who's pretty passionate about serving others in humanitarian work, so I'd probably invest a lot more time in that if I only had five years left. But as far as like my personality and who I am and my passions, I don't think I would I would change that. I'd stick with it. Cool. Well on that note, we just want to talk about the main idea of this podcast and it's about community and that We like to say on the show, you were made by community, not for community. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to dive into this question. Who is your community and what or who comes to mind? Well, my community is my community. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's community is different because your community is made up of the experiences you've had over time. Gotcha. So we can have parallel communities. Like we could all say we're part of the Andrews community and there's a lot of things in that community that resemble each other and are similar that we could relate with. But we all have things that are different because we're from different places. We're all from different parts of the country. We grew up in different places. So our community starts there. So I'm going to say that my community starts with the day that I was born and it works its way from there. You know, there's those people that you don't know, but are invested in you because they were invested in your parents when you were a kid. And as a pastor's kid who went to general conference session every five years, when you're there, these random people will roll up to your family and be like, oh, it's just so good to see you. I remember pushing you in a stroller and you're like, "Uh, that's cool. That's nice. Good to know. But they're part of the community because they're invested Mm. in you and they love you and they care about you. You have that community from when you were a child in your formative years, like your toddler years. I think that's another form of community. There's some people from that time that stand in my mind as just like huge key figures. I was just in Chicago this weekend, just kind of on the spur of the moment. I went to a concert with a friend of mine and we made friends when we were toddlers at church when we were like two years old and we're still friends to this day. She lives in Chicago right now, works with the Navy. And whenever I have an opportunity, I'm always trying to connect with her because she's part of my community. And her parents really care about me. They're always trying to like help me out and stuff, take me to the airport when I need a flight and stuff because they live in Chicago. Yeah, right. You know, just doing the simple things. And then, you know, the community after that is that elementary school community, those people that you hung out with, you did things with, maybe it was Pathfinders or something. So I think that's the next level of my community. I was actually texting the principal and my teacher from elementary school. She's a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Okay. They're going to the World Series this year. Hey. So hey. I was connecting with her because she's super passionate about baseball. I'm happy for her. Yeah. So that's part of my community, right? And when I go back to Downers Grove in Illinois and I see those people, it's like getting back to that place, connecting back with those relationships, even though they've been paused for so long. Wow. And then after that, it's that community from high school. 
there's a dean at the academy I went to. If I were to make a list of the top five most influential people in my life, mm-hmm. he would probably be number two. When I was in wow. high school, he was the most influential person in my life. Wow. He told me to sell my car, and I did exactly as he said. I didn't even <laughs> tell my parents I was selling my car. It was given to me by my, by my deceased grandma. It sounds horrible, but he told me to do it, and I did it. And I bought another car. So like, that's how I got into car flipping, but super influential part of the community, right? Wow. A couple yeah. other people there, whenever I see them, it, it's just like, it's one of the best moments in the world because they're part of my community. And then there's the people that are part of my community from after that phase of life. So mm-hmm. there's the people here at Andrews. I mean, this is such a large community. So there's segments of that, subparticles of that community. And there's people that I still keep up with that have moved on. And that's a super huge part of my community. And then there's my summer community, I guess you could call it. For the last six summers, I've worked at Timberidge Camp. Okay. Shout out to Timberidge Camp. One of the most influential experiences of my life, super formative. Whenever I see those people, hear from those people, honestly, whenever I just cross the state line (laughs) into that part of Indiana and I'm around Indianapolis, I'm like, man, I'm in my second home right now. This feels close because like we were talking about before the show, what makes a home a home? Mm -hmm. Home is where the love is and where the people connect. Home is not where your parents are living in Philadelphia or something because that's where you're from. Home can be your Berman dorm room at Andrews because there's the love right there Mm. and you have those people or home is in your summer camp cabin at Timberidge Camp in Spencer, Indiana, because that's where your friends are and that's where your community is and that's where the love is. So the community is where the love is and the community can move around because people move around, but people are where love is. So that's my community is, is the people who love me and wherever they are. That is so beautiful. Wow. Can I add one little follow-up question sure. to, um, and talking about all these different communities of different times of your life, I kind of want to go back to that first question of like your hardest time. Like who was your community in your hardest in that time? Because it was really, it interests me. That story really touched me. So like who was that community at that time? Yeah. So when that happened, I was in Academy and I, I think that's probably what made that community so strong for mm-hmm. me is because actually at that time I was going through this process where like I had just finished my sophomore year, I was going into my junior year and right about my sophomore year, I told my parents, I quit, I'm not going to the school anymore and I'm ready to transfer. Wow. And that's a pretty big deal for my family because Sittlers don't quit on stuff, they make it work. I was actually ready to come back to the Midwest, go to school here and I stuck with it. And the people that were most present for me, there's a lot of people, but there's a few people that stand out in my mind. And it's probably because they're the people that I keep in contact with still or supporting me the most. The dean was just super supportive the whole time. He was backing me up and helping me out and kind of just like being like a a second parent, I guess. Because when you go to boarding school, if you went to boarding school, did you guys go to boarding school? I sure did. Okay. So you know how boarding academy is or like boarding school is you don't go home very much. Yeah. And those people in the dorm, they're your family Yeah, yeah. through thick and thin. And those deans, like <laughs> they say it and you get really close to them and they know you and you know them. Mm-hmm. And there's this relationship. And that was super powerful to me to have somebody who is backing me up. I think what Mr. Haley did for me is Mr. Haley told me, Nehemiah, you have the skills and the abilities and Furthermore, you have the natural talent and the God-given ability to recognize something and say, 
I think I can do that. And then to get on YouTube and learn how to do it. He told me, Nehemiah, you don't need to be a mechanic to flip a car. All you need to know how to do is to operate your computer and to go on YouTube and figure (laughs) out the parts you need and to go on this website and price the car out. So in my mind, it changed the whole way I viewed the world because it was like, I can do anything now if I can research it hard enough and I can get some information and talk to some friends and know somebody who knows how to do it. And there was the vice principal at that school and she just kind of like really helped change my worldview of the church Mm. because I went to a super conservative high school and we would go to some events with like really progressive academies. And I just remember one time she told me something that's just kind of changed my worldview For the rest of my life, she told me, Nehemiah, there is a place for everyone. Mm. No matter who you are, what you relate with, what you identify with, there's a place for every single person at the table of Christ. Basically, we need to get over ourselves (laughs) and get over a lot of the things that are just quite frankly petty. Mm. Their personal preference, like that's all there is to it. We need to get beyond that so that we can connect with people and we can serve people because some of your greatest friends might not be the people who are exactly like you. Wow. And then the last person was a man by the name of Charles Sarr. One of the brightest people I think I've ever met. Super, super intelligent. He taught me pre-calculus. The way this man just knew his stuff was crazy. <laughs> super caring and, and humble about it. Every time I see him now, he's just like super supportive and super caring and he listens. That's wow. so sweet. And to have that in my life. That was the community that was there for me. You know, they they went through it with me. There were days where I was exhausted and like I didn't show up to class or I didn't show up to work. They gave me grace. They got me through. Wow. They talked me through it. They helped me through it. So that's where the love was. Yeah. 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 That was where the love was. Love was wow. right there in Monterey, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a follow-up question. Sure. So you have multiple communities, but I guess mm-hmm. if you could boil it down to the one thing that you love about all your communities, something that they all share or, and maybe if there is anything your biggest pet peeve about those communities, if you have any. Yeah. Well, all the communities have love. Like I said before, that's pretty obvious, Mm -hmm. but something else that communities have is all the communities, except for Andrews, this is a big community, but all the other communities are small. And even at Andrews, Communities boil down, I think. The reason I'm a fan of small communities is because people immediately notice your talents and they notice what you're good at. And I feel like in my communities, I've been blessed to always have people around me that are like hardcore committed to my growth Mm. and hardcore committed to seeing me discover my talents and grow my talents and not put me in positions where my weaknesses are exposed and then I'm going to be brought down. They're all about growing me. So sometimes, you know, you have to expose the weaknesses so that you can build strengths. You're always put in a position to lead where you're great and to become greater. And they're always encouraging you. I can think of a conversation I had with someone in my community here at Andrews on Saturday, and they were telling me, Nehemiah, you're going to do great in life. That meant the world to me. Like I was just thinking about that today while I was in class because I was like, French is beating me up and I don't know if I'm going to pass that test on Wednesday. But I remember what that person said to me and it got me through. So I think it's what's common, the small size of the community that pushes you to grow, pushes you to be a leader, brings you up to the next level, gives you the confidence to move forward and supports you through each and every single phase. Wow. Yeah. That was, wow. (laughs) You have some great community. I know. I gotta, I'm going to have to come through for his right? community, man. Yeah, come <laughs> through. 
They're okay. always accepting new applicants. So. <laughs> so we thank you for coming on here, for telling us truly about your communities. I learned how many, how can we even count like five that communities like, in there? More than five. I don't know. He gave us like, he gave us timelines. He gave yeah. us everything. And Very we just want to say thank you for coming on and actually sharing yes. your, your real story of your real communities and letting us know about it, man. That's, that's powerful. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciated it. It was so beautiful. I just, I'm, in, I'm surprised. I don't have many words. It was just beautiful. One of the things that we're really excited about the podcast, our host Angel wanted me to give a little plug in here is that um, communities have been listening and some yeah. communities have been growing. On our last one, we had Zach, right? He was part of this community called House of Worship. Someone just, not a plug here, in passing, was listening to the podcast and they said like, yo, I heard about it. And they showed up Friday. Oh. Friday night and then they experience community. Um, So so kind of our goal here is that like, so I hope that people can kind of walk around, see, look for Nehemiah out there and, and see some of his community. I'm out there. (laughs) (laughs) And as always guys, thank you so much for listening to us. And I'm Arlene. And I'm not angel. I'm Mikey. (laughs) And this was in passing. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next time. You don't want to pass this up. (laughs) 